Well, the patience is basically learning a whole new system of doing something that you've never done before. And when you learn how to do that, it's very interesting. And when you start seeing what you're really capable of doing, uh, that in itself is pretty cool. When you're able to hit a, you know, a quarter at 100 yards and you've never done that, I mean, that, builds a lot, that starts building confidence on the things that you can do with patience and understanding. With that being said, uh, in, in Danny's job, he's been entry and, and sniping it. I, as I, when I'm negotiating, I'm negotiating in his favor. Meaning that what a simple question I might be is like, hey, Bobby, look, you know, Bobby being my person in size, like, look, man, we want in this peacefully, just turn the light off around, let me know it's okay. That's it, right? But when that light comes on, he now has an understanding, one, where he may be, or number two, he may be able to see something, which is a good thing. And that helps him being able to achieve the goal of all of us bringing out somebody that's in a crisis. He knew that he was going to jail. He had a daughter, a child at the time, uh, like baby. And uh, he was talking about her a little bit and we tried to work that into the picture of like, you know, most people think that when you go to jail, life's over, but in reality, you know, it, life's over if you choose for it to be over. There are other options that you have when you're in jail. It's what you make of it. You got to work for it, but you can do it. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast, brought to you by the Assisi Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community. And now we want to give them a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree. And we all make mistakes. But together we can grow. We can heal and we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. The Negotiator. The task of a negotiator has been a staple in movie and TV for decades, but it often often doesn't show the true behind-the-scenes patience and endless mind games to gain rapport and just hopefully diffuse the situation and everybody goes home. That isn't always the case. The movies don't go into the trauma. They don't go into the hearing of someone saying their last words or take their last breath. Since NYPD Detective Harvey Schlossberg recognized the need for a new approach to dealing with deep, with the crisis with hostages in 1972, he worked on the Son of Sam case. He instituted a psychological principle in police work that included psych screening and the use of hypnosis in suspect and witness interviews. He was a trailblazer. The first hostage negotiation teams were created as elements of SWAT. Today we have on our very own SWAT negotiator. 
He's been a me- member of Dallas PD since 1993. Yes, 1993. It's back when the Cowboys were good. He hired on with Dallas PD in 1985. He's worked Northwest Patrol. He did a tour in Mounted Unit, and he remains with Dallas SWAT today. The ATO is very happy to sit down with J.D. Bias of Dallas SWAT. J.D., thanks for coming on. Thank you. I appreciate it. This is Joe King. I'm here with Danny Canetti. He's actually sitting in today, and we have a very special guest, co-host, all the way from New York, Sarah Ginsburg. Sarah, thank you for coming on. There's a story behind you, and maybe one day we'll tell, but you reached out to us as a fan of the uh, podcast, and you want to help the Assisted Officer Foundation and support the podcast and ATO and you're here to sit in with this uh this episode thank you so much for coming down thank you for having me all right jd you ready to get into this go for it all right what part of texas were you born i was actually born in fort worth okay cowtown when did you move out of there and where'd you go uh i'm i think i was around six i was age six when i moved up there or moved out from uh, texas Okay. And then ended up moving to Ohio, to a small suburb outside of Ohio, uh, Cleveland. Okay. How long did you stay there? Uh, well, I was pretty much raised there. And then from that point, uh, I came back to Texas when I was in my early, or maybe mid-20s. Okay. When did you decide to get into law enforcement, though? Um. Actually, you know, it's kind of funny because I wanted to be a park ranger. Okay. And I wanted to work in the park systems and uh, national parks and things like that. And I had heard back then that one of the biggest things was they were looking for law enforcement or they were looking for uh, teachers. Okay. Those were like things that they would look for. So uh, I went with law enforcement thinking, okay, I could do law enforcement and do some things there. By then, you had moved back to Texas? No. Okay. No, no. I, I was... So you were interested before you got back to Texas? Right. Okay. Right. It, nine, it probably at about age 20. Okay. Yeah, it was about age 20. Uh, I started doing uh, store detective work. Okay. Uh, like dress, loss prevention. Yeah, dressed yeah. in plain clothes, catching shoplifters, things like that. And that in itself, I think, was a, basically a good stepping stone. I mean, you get to see... Anybody and everybody steals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you have interaction with people, with people, and you get to understand, and you actually were the you know you saw the criminal side of people. Sure, and a lot of people, I would imagine, when it comes to shoplifting, they're just opportunists. They just they're not actually there to go in and steal shit. They just see do an opportunity. Thrill. Yeah, they do it for a thrill. They just see something. You know, I kind of want to take that with me. But what's interesting is that. I mean, it, it doesn't matter who you are, it, whether you're a police officer, someone from the city council, a nun, yeah, uh, people in wheelchairs, and then you have your professionals. And your professionals are just crazy the way they come up with how to steal stuff. And it, it, it just it drives it, – that in itself was a learning process. I, I worked at, uh, <laughs> at a Sam's as an, at an extra job. And I was standing near the front, my old partner, John Valdez, shout out, John. He was relieving me that day. He, we just got there. And this guy, he was in a suit, and 
they had watched him steal some stuff, or he ate some stuff off the off the rack way back in the back of the uh, store, and they were just waiting for him to check out. So he saw us up there talking with the loss prevention guy, and we were just waiting on him and seeing this guy. He was terrorized because as that line got closer, we were going to let him check out to what he was actually going to buy, and then we were we were going to hook him up. But the look on his face, and I remember John and I were sitting there laughing, going, "Look at that son of a bitch!" You know, look at his face because he was just he knew we knew, right? And it was hilarious because this guy he looked up like he could be a CEO. It was funny. Get, getting a little off topic though, but what year was the Super Bowl here? Two thousand ten. Uh, what? Oh, the wait. Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah, it's 2010, right? Yeah. 2010? Yeah. yeah. So I'm working, uh, this is back before SWAT, obviously, but I was at Southeast, but uh-huh. working an uh, extra job at North Park and all the craziness that was. Oh, my work. gosh, yes, uh, yes. So I get a call from a security guard at one of the stores, I won't say what store, saying, hey, we got a shoplifter and, you know, we're going to have to do something with them. So I go down there. This girl's not talking. She's like 14 years old, won't talk. We can tell she speaks a different language as well. Come to find out, and I won't say what country, but she's the daughter of a president's country. <laughs> wow. And yeah. she didn't want to go to the Super Bowl. Her whole family went, and she wanted to go shopping at the mall. And her bodyguards took her there, and she somehow ditched her bodyguards and escaped them and yeah. was caught shoplifting in this store. And the store and the security are like, oh, we're going to, yeah, I think you should arrest her. I'm like, hey, here's a deal. We're <laughs> yeah. going to make a phone call. We're gonna, you can say whatever you want to her, but we're getting her out of here and handing her back over. And Yeah. 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 No, they, if y'all push for it, somebody probably would have bought that North Park Mall right then and there. Yeah. And you and had fired everybody. <laughs> yeah. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. But obviously wow. had enough money to probably buy most of the oh, store. that yes. then caught shopping. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you got into law enforcement. You started off the loss prevention, and you decided to get into law enforcement. Where did you apply? What so, all- so I applied um, probably about ten different places up in up in the Ohio. And what year was that? Oh man, that'd probably be like in the eighty mid uh, early eighties. Okay. Yeah. So you because you hired on here in eighty five. Right. Right. Okay. When you applied for Dallas, what was that process like? And it, did you already have other applications out with other places? I had other applica- uh, other applications around. Nothing was solid, though. And it, I'm sure it's in bigger cities, it's probably the same. But when they're hiring, like, uh, the suburbs, when they're hiring, like, two people, you know, yeah. you'll get, like, 300 people showing up for that. And if you ain't in the top five, just on the testing, chances are you're not going to make it. Yeah. Right. So uh, I had applied uh, for like Cleveland, and mm-hmm. they had a couple of openings there, and there were about 400 people that applied, and it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Dallas, though, at that time, though, what was their hiring push like? Were they were they they rolling? were hiring a lot of people. Really? So uh, I got word uh, through my sister who was down here. And she said, Dallas is hiring. I said, well, give it a try. So uh, came down here, did all the uh, processing for it. Uh, they were pretty good. I don't know how they are now, but back then they'd try and get everything done within one day. Yeah. So that the only thing you'd really have to come back for is like the psych and the uh, review board. Okay. Which I did. And then. Uh, but you were still living in, in Cleveland, Ohio, and, yeah, and then, outside of Cleveland. And once yeah. you got the job, and, and I moved 85, down. You came down here. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So you got you hired on in '85. Mm-hmm. 
What what month was it? August. Oh, so right in the heat when you come out there in the yeah. When I drove in, uh, and you got to remember that because I was born down here, we still had family down here. Yeah. So I was coming back from Ohio to Texas my whole life, either driving, flying. So getting down wasn't you know anything really crazy, but I remember driving in with the truck, uh, the moving truck. Uh, I looked up. It was 7 o'clock in the morning, and the temperature was like 104. I said, yeah, not much has changed. Yeah, I and mean, you're about to put on a dark uniform. Right, and, right, and right. So when you got in the, what was the – when you were in the academy, we're going to get into some events that happened a few years later after mm-hmm. you hired on, sure. right? And, but during the 80s, what was the fill in the department, and what did you – what did Dallas PD – how did that look to you from the outside? <clears throat> well, I can tell you that generally, as a, uh, I think when you're, as I look back now on that, that going through the academy, um, they had just had an officer that had been uh, killed in the line of duty prior to me getting down here. And it was pretty graphic uh, the way I remember it. Uh, but I didn't know about it until I got into the academy. Do you, do you remember who it was? Blair, in circumstances? Gary Brother. Um, he was, I think he was killed on a traffic stop, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and that was, I think, in March. Okay. And I didn't start the academy until August. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why I remember that is because I turned 25 when I was in the academy. Um, but at that time, you know, you have this brand new world in front of you. And, you know, I'm not really recognizing, you know, at that time, I'm just going through the academy. I just want to make it, right? Uh, it wasn't until later on that you start opening your eyes and you start seeing the community and, and okay. the things that go on around it. So how did that make you feel whenever you, you were aware that, that an officer had gotten killed in Dallas and then you were starting the academy four or five months later right were you you were aware of that death and how did that make you feel as if you can remember how you felt when you were young did that maybe give you a, a second thought on it or not really a second thought i think back then it was more of okay this is a possibility you know yeah. but i i i'd probably have to admit that i was so focused of just trying to get through the academy i blocked everything else out because I just wanted to do well in the academy and, and get through it. And so I, you know. So early on you were compartmentalizing things. Probably, yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, like, yeah, like you're probably right. Uh, just wanted to get home, study, yeah. eat, go to sleep, wake up, you know. How long was the academy back then? Yeah, that's a different story <laughs> compared to where they are now. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, 17 or 18 weeks. <laughs> wow. What? <laughs> yeah. That's nice. Yeah, well, 17 or 18 weeks. And I was just like, and I thought that was a long time. How long was yours, Joe? It was over, it was almost nine months. Yeah, yeah same here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I started in January and I graduated in August. Uh, so, wow. I was already on the street by December. Yeah. Yeah. What was the field training like back then? Uh, I had some really good, I had some really good trainers. Um, I remember them to this day. And uh, I thought each one brought a really good aspect of it. Um because on in the train, I think they still do it. You do six weeks on day, six weeks on evening, six weeks on deep nights. And so the trainers that I had were all pretty good on, on their watches. Um, I think it's 777. Seven, seven, so yeah. 
seven weeks in three different phases, and yes. then you go back for three weeks for your yes. first phase. Yes, yes, so yes, it's a yes, total yes. Of 24 weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you're at Northwest, right? Yes, sir. Okay. How long How long were you out on the streets uh, before you, you got up to Mounted? So I had heard through the grapevine mm-hmm. that in order to get to Mounted, um, number one, we didn't have we had corporals but not senior corporals yeah corporals was just a rank and after five years you it was automatic you, boom it was you automatic grandfathered in. Yeah. right uh so we didn't have senior corporals but i had heard that it takes about five years to six years to get over there so the minute i got off a little t the next day i put my letter in and it took about six years to get there for the listener that that are non-police can you describe what little t is Little T is basically um, once you get done, um, you ride with a partner uh, who is not evaluating you. You work as a two-man, and you handle the call load just like you were a regular officer. The only thing that the senior officer in in the car is just to kind of make sure that you got it, um, more or less. Yeah, as long as they're that much senior to you. Usually, you're riding with someone who's like only – three or four months yes. on more than you yes yeah because real senior guys don't want to ride with someone that rookie so yes. you got two knuckleheads in the car yeah wrecking shop yeah yeah, yeah you're right you're right yeah, that's real and common it's a great time <laughs> yeah, yeah it is i learned more on little t than that that's when my old partner john and i my f- second week of little t valdez and i partnered up and it just you know we stayed together until I got with Pat, but that's and it's funny how you can learn from someone that rookie too. Still, like oh I, sure, I still remember my partner on Little T was Jeremiah Torres. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he yeah, had been on him. four or five months longer than me, but that guy knew how to talk to people. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He knew how to talk to, and he ended up doing a gang liaison and all that stuff. But I learned more about talking to people from him than probably anyone else. Yeah, Jeremiah, he's such a good dude. God, I like that. I miss that guy. Uh, he, we we actually were texting uh, earlier this year. I, oh. I like him. Yeah. Um. So you're out there at Northwest, and I want to I want to fast forward to not the year of 1988. Mm-hmm. We talked about it with with Lance Crawford. He hired on in 1988, right, right, and, right. And we had in a calendar year we had seven officers uh, were killed in line of duty or uh, Sandell and Fleming. They they had a car wreck and they they died. Did you know any of the any of the officers that uh, personally that were killed? Um, well, a couple of them. So, like, John Chase was actually the academy, cl- uh, academy class ahead of me. Okay. So I knew of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, not like we hung out or anything. Just, I knew who he was in that. That was a rough one. The, um, the other one was uh, James Joe, or Joe James. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, he was an uh, officer and then went to um, crime scene. So mm-hmm. he would come out and do the finger, uh, the fingerprints and things process like that, scene. process yeah. the scene, all that. And I will tell you something about him. He had to be the classiest dresser I have ever seen in my really? life. <laughs> that guy could wear a three-piece suit and dust an entire house and not get one speck on him. And I was, it was crazy to watch him. Uh, had the most perfect hair, and I'm like, God dang! I mean, you got to be a model. You can't. Right. <laughs> this yeah. is a, it. Was crazy. Um, yeah. What was his incident? Will you tell the listener? If you he was uh, at home in an. Uh, he lived in an apartment complex. Um. 
he uh, got a call that someone was breaking into cars. Mm-hmm. So he went out there to go look for the guy, and he confronted one, and another one came up behind him and killed him. Killed him. Yeah. 88 was rough, obviously, right? It, yeah. And the feel of the city, and there was a lot of anti-police rhetoric, rhetoric back then, and, and Chase, that, that was, right. there was a lot of that when, when he uh, died. We mentioned, it, we mentioned that already. Um what was the feel of the city in the department with that kind of with, with losing that many officers? What were y'all? Well, thinking? you got to think about it. It just wasn't Dallas, yeah. so we lost we lost seven. I think the entire Metroplex lost twelve wow. because we lost some from Fort Worth, Arlington, and that. So that was a pretty heavy year going through that. Um, now that you know, I got a little time on three years or so. I'm starting to realize things. Um, they did a mandatory. Uh, uh, two two man patrol uh, that was brought into play, so everybody's riding two man whether you wanted to or not. You know they found you. You didn't go out by yourself. Um, and I think uh, you know the morale's definitely down, definitely down. When you know, when you're losing twelve officers total, yeah, it's just not Dallas. It's affecting the whole metroplex. Did y'all feel under, under attack? Um. I think to to some degree there was some animosity there, if that's the right word I want to use. Um, yeah, to yeah. some degree. But how, I, how could you not? I mean, really? Yeah, how, and you can't. But you know, there's one thing, and I'll tell you what: the, the the street police or the street cop, the beat cop, whatever you want to call them, you know, those guys have a hell of a job. Yeah, without a doubt, because. You know, they get out there and, you know, they're going from call to call to call trying to figure out what they're going to do. Uh, and, you know, when SWAT shows up, man, you know, we're, we got, we got our stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, so, but back then you're, you know, you're driving around, you're just doing your job. You're just going out from call to call. And it could be an up and down day. Up every and down day, day. Yeah. Every day of the week. Yeah. You can go from talking to somebody about a, a stolen bike to driving up on a shooting. I've been to locations uh, during that time period. I was at a location where um, I pulled a squad car in front of a, a resident. I'll call it that, a resident, okay. and was told that I needed to use the back entrance uh, of the house. Mm. Um, they didn't want the squad cars up in front. Uh, was it wasn't nice enough? Yeah, it, okay. it would be like all over the neighborhood, you know. Mm. And the next call would be in the projects where yeah. you open the door and, you know, you're looking at some poverty and they just love you to death. And that was that was a great Northwest back then. You could go from one call to another and have that as your time. You go one and you really look at them and go like, really? And you go to another one where you think something else. And it's a very eye opening experience. You get so much thrown at you in so many different aspects of of social of social life not just policing but just sure you know just how people live at just different uh different levels of wealth poverty uh education right mm-hmm. um when did you decide to go to mounted you you said you yeah you, you got bug in your ear when it, how long it's going to take how did that process go and how long had mounted been going on when you got over there, Mountain, if I'm not mistaken, we were in the 70s. Okay, they started around in the 70s, and the neat thing about that was um, because I knew it would take a long time to get there. 
I knew that you wanted to have time. You didn't want to go over as a young officer. You wanted to have some time because it's a slower pace of, of what you do. Um, I actually never rode a horse, uh, but I'm a big animal lover. So I said, you know what? Let's go try this out and see what it's like. I mean, it should be pretty cool, right? Um, so I finally got selected to go there, went there. Uh, it is back then. I'm sure it is. I, I don't know how much has changed. But back then, uh, it was the hardest school to get through. Yeah. The hardest school to get through. It was it was long and beat up. And, you know, they're, the horses are unforgiving. Uh, however... I will tell you that to this day, that is a highlight of my career. Really? Uh, and there's been several times I've thought about going back. Uh, just, yeah, I didn't. The issue was, even though I had five years on, um, having, you want to go over there when you got like 15, 16 years so that you're not chasing everybody. You know, you, it, it, I'm not saying you're not police. You just have a different responsibility. Uh, yeah, you're really a support for patrol. Yeah. yeah you're supplementing patrol. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, you know, you're trying to help them where you're doing other things. I mean, I would, I chased a stolen car on my horse. I mean, I, you know, I drew down on somebody in the middle of downtown on a horse, uh, on a horse and uh, had them sprawled out on the ground. And my cover was two other Mounties when I said, I've got, a, I got someone on the ground. The dispatch is going like, okay, um, uh, where they run and I said no they're on the ground and I heard my other two guys coming and it was the neatest thing because they're on the radio they're going like we're in yeah. route and, <laughs> and I, I'm like man you can't make this up you cannot make this up and of course it just like out of the movies out of the horizon you know they come up over the hill and they get down there and, and we got all the this guy and another guy over here and um Worked a major accident, never got off my horse. Uh, just, yeah, and, and you can still do police work, you know, and, and the training back then was just crazy because for never riding a horse and doing the things I did, I can't beat it. Well, that probably it, – it's like somebody going to the, a rookie starting and going to the range that never fired a handgun. They don't have any. They don't have any bad habits to break. Right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. that probably helped you a lot. Yes, Your yes, instructors yes. would. They teach you how they wanted to teach, you, and you didn't know any better. You yeah, you didn't. Any, yeah. I mean, so how long? I, I heard motors and mounted are probably some of the hardest training that yeah. we yeah. have. Yeah, and, without a doubt, and still to this day. Yeah. Um, it, wow. How big was the mounted unit back then when you started? We had eighteen horses. Oh. That's and then when you size. included the 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 barn manager and the sergeants, we were up to twenty one. So when we showed up, yeah, there was a line. Yeah, we, we could be forced pretty, to be reckoned with. Yes, that. yes, yeah. we you could be uh, very easy. Uh, during the the cowboy parade in ninety three, uh, that was one of my big tests. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was. You, were you in the middle of that? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, so we. We talked about that with uh, the commander in, in Claggett. And, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, and, uh, yeah he, and they were praising the mounted unit and how it yeah. shined that day. Yeah. What role did? Can you talk about what you did that day and how it went for you? Oh my God, that that was crazy because I I was like a, on little T even on horses because you know they want you to ride with someone that's got more time. Well, 
my assignment was with the instructor tom hall shout out to him whatever you call mm-hmm. it you know hashtag whatever i don't yeah. know we'll do, we'll do both hashtag yeah. And shout out. <laughs> yeah but tom hall he was a solid trainer uh he had changed up the training when he first came over uh he taught me a lot. In reality, a lot of the stuff that he taught, I used when I came over to SWAT, the discipline and some of that stuff. Uh, but he was my my partner, and he was on one side, and I was on the other because the cars were all down, the Corvettes were all down the middle. Corvettes. Yeah, they were all Corvettes, and uh, there was no railing. There was no anything. It was just people lined up at the side. And as soon as we came up from um, – uh, I think it's industrial that goes up into Maine, someplace over there. But you know, as we, uh, which it was a street, uh, when we went up, it was just like sea mob city. Yeah. I was like, oh crap! And so as we started walking, we saw it start falling in, and they just started surrounding all the cars and that. The players had their wives and kids, and they were getting scared and. Uh, uh, it was just it was kind of starting chaos, not like riots, just massive people and uh, closing in. And so uh, I started watching the other horses, what they were doing. And then I, saw, I looked over to my trainer. My trainer, he was doing it, and it was like a spin to clear, the, you know, you use a technique to clear Can you people. describe what that technique is? Basically, as you give your horse a, uh, a cue, which is using your uh, horse will bend around your leg. So when you push into the side of it and you bend it the horse will want to go that way okay go into the bend pivot around your yeah, p- yeah. thank you okay. excellent pivot so i saw him doing some pivots and my horse wild bill was kind of acting up and new rider so the horse knows you're nervous he can feel it he's nervous so i'm trying to make sure everything's right and trying to do it all proper and i look over and uh yeah th- old tom hall man he he was moving people left and right and i go like oh it's one of those games yeah okay now i felt a lot better so now i start doing my thing and you know we start uh making like a wedge clearing people off the the vehicles and stuff like that and you know it's crazy even in the middle of a, a of a chaos like that because one of them caught on fire yeah they uh, said the confetti caught the catalytic yeah, converter the Corvette. Uh, yeah i think it was uh back i think it was troy aikman with uh uh, Monty Peterson, uh, another shout out to him. He was up in the front. Monty Peterson was uh, doing his thing, and something happened. And I think Troy said something like, "Is that your horse going to be okay?" And Monty's horse like stumbled or something, and the horse hit the head, hit his head on the car, and then came back up. And he goes, "He's fine." yeah it didn't even shake him at all or anything and then um they're so powerful oh my god well and they've changed the dynamics Mm -hmm. of how they use the horses now and i I don't want to get too far off in that because Mm -hmm. i don't know the reasoning or that and Mm -hmm. you know they're probably very comfortable with it but our horses back then were tall lean um they didn't have a lot of mass to them but they were you can move them around very agile uh, very very easily um but I do remember going down. I was trying to clear some people off because we were starting to take side roads, uh, side streets to get out of that mob. Yeah. And we were clearing off. And uh, I remember that uh, I looked over and some kid had taken a, a pin and just took it and sh- shoved it into the side of the, my, the flank of the horse, uh, like his rib cage. And when he did that, we, he buckled over to the left 
and his high, his left leg actually sat on a Corvette and shattered the whole back of it. And then we got back up. <laughs> God. And then we kept going. But what was really uh, neat, man. two ladies were over there and saw what happened. And they literally went after this Whip kid. Whip his ass. Good. Yeah. And they went after Don't you don't care about me. Yeah. They said, don't ever do that don't to hurt a the horse. animal. Blah, blah, yeah, yeah. Bam, bam, bam. And I'm looking. Uh-huh. I didn't even have to look back because I didn't want to see what was going on. But they took care of it. And then, you know, after it was all said and done, the guy from the Corvette goes, look. He goes, thank you so much. He goes, I am not complaining. You know, you, you know all this and blah, blah, blah. I said, he goes, yeah, but. Your horse sat in my car. It shattered. I got to have at least some type of report for insurance. Right. And I went like, I can do that. You yeah. Know, do that, you know. And I always used to write my tickets or uh, my uh, uh, reports is Officer J.D. Bias and Officer uh, Wild Bill. Wild Bill. That's <laughs> awesome. That is so And that was, on, that was on all my reports. <laughs> so, anyways. Yeah. No, that's a man. I'm glad you brought that up. I I didn't even have that in my lineup. Uh, I was going to get into the Cowboy Parade, but I didn't realize how deeply you were involved in that. It, when that was all done, we talked about it. We your you and your horse just spent, right? Just it, well, you don't spend because you know it, you're talking about a 1,500 pound animal. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it it you want to help people understand they need to move away from wherever they're at. Give them equine therapy to yeah. You just want to give them a little a little apply yeah. pressure to say yeah. you need to go this way. You don't want to run over people per no, se. Yeah, you kill them. Uh, yeah, you can kill someone. Yeah. Right. Jose Mendez, another shout out mm-hmm. hashtag whatever. Uh, Jose Mendez, uh, a motor jockey. They jumped a motor jockey and they they didn't assault him. They just pushed his bike pushed, over yeah. and every time he tried to get up they'd push it back down again and so uh jose got in there and he says you trying to get your bike up he goes yeah they won't let me he goes hold on he put his horse in a full spin and that thing just went right around just kept going around the uh the motor jockey until the motor jockey was able to get up and he goes you got it he goes yeah, i'm good then you go to the next guy and it was crazy crazy and that was all done just improvising because oh yeah there was impro- yeah, there was it, no there was no i mean all the mounty guys back then you know it's just like any other job you even in mm-hmm. swat that sometimes you got to improvise and you know make it happen and that's what these that's what we were all doing we we're just improvising trying to make you know make it work uh just trying to break away get away it, you're fighting for your life too and then also keeping everybody there safe yeah you and, had- and it's a different and it, it was a thing that you know the you got these these players here that are getting worried um we had heard later on that, you know, it, and I'll be careful I say this because I don't want to offend anybody, but the majority of the people were there for the parade. Yeah, celebration. But you yeah. got thugs. Mm-hmm. I can say that. You yeah. got into, into There's antagonists. There's always yeah, you got a group there. of a core of people that just want to cause chaos. You know, they're stealing jewelry, watches. You know, they're trying to get all the stuff off these players and that. And the officers, I heard, too. And the officers are trying to take their, you know, you've lost, not guns, but you've lost batons, you've lost things like that. And and, you still have um, uh, SWAT guys walking along the side trying to help, you know, and they're they're fighting now. Uh, So that's all, that's a whole different ballgame. So, excuse me, it's a lot easier to be on top and see everything. Yeah. Versus being on the ground and being in the middle of it. I mean, I thought I was okay. Yeah, you were. They were like in a mosh pit trying to 
worm their way through and you were like overseeing it and uh, yeah we can see i, I can't imagine tell- that i i wish y'all had body cameras I'm, well it's probably a good thing you didn't but i'm I would, just as far as the view y'all had of what you were seeing from your height up there and man it's pretty incredible if you do your homework there's a picture of chief brown okay when he was a sergeant okay. in swat oh i, I did see and that. it's by mcdonald's uh which is downtown there's a, a hot spot there and for some reason they just always want to get around that area there and uh there was an issue down there where a couple of SWAT guys were trying to affect us and a mob was getting on them and that and myself and a couple of other guys came in and cleared it up for them yeah i did see i saw that pick yeah. actually yeah, yeah, may have to post that one whenever we release it. It's a good pick. Yeah, it is. There's not many picks considering of the. There's a lot of pictures of the overview of that thing. Right, and, right, and right, right. And yeah. we've seen the night and day from the first parade to the next year. The second. Oh my parade. gosh! It, it literally was like, yeah, yeah. It, were you part of the second parade? All three of them. Oh wow! Yeah. Ninety five. I don't even remember ninety five as much. At ninety five, I was walking. Okay. I was on the on the ground. Which well, you were I'd in, rather, you were in yeah I was in, I'd rather okay. been on horse yeah because <laughs> when I came up I went no I want to be on horse I don't like this being on the ground yeah ninety five went per, but in, in ninety four you were or the second one you were on the horse still no I oh, came over it, yeah okay you yeah, right I was already that. in SWAT yeah oh, wow okay speaking of speaking of going into SWAT mm-hmm. how did that happen you just you were in you were in the mountain and you just decided I wanted to yeah. I was looking for a change. I think it was personally I was going through some rough things, and you're just trying to figure out a way how to get, you know, how to cope with stuff. And uh, I remember, and in, in Danny's probably going to look at me and go, like, what are you, crazy? That's how it happened? He goes, Jesus Christ. Because um, back then, Mounted was actually part of the same organizational chart. Tactical, yeah. It was, it was ta- with yeah. TAC, uh, with SWAT. And it was a tactical unit, which would be horses, canine bombs, helicopters. Uh, I'm forgetting somebody else. There's a couple of others. Uh, uh, traffic. But the thing about it that was interesting back then was I was walking. It was a Thursday. And I was walking out the door, and I saw a sergeant. I had heard that SWAT had an opening. So I saw a sergeant, and I looked at uh, Joe Denemy was his name. Shout out. Uh, as I'm walking out, I uh, see Sarge. And I said, hey, Sarge, I hear you have an opening. He goes, yeah. He goes, uh, are you interested? I said, sure. He goes, we're looking for someone to slam doors. Because back then, you know, nowadays they got all these kind of things they can do to break the door. Back then it was just brute force. It was but, just yeah. hitting yeah. the door, right? Um, which they still, we still yeah. got some guys that can do it with no problem at all. Uh, but back then I looked at him and I went, I can do that. And he goes, okay. He goes, well, you got to take a physical fitness test. Well, three or four months prior to that, the SWAT team was actually doing their physical fitness test for them, and they asked if anybody in Mounted wanted to do it, try and do it. I said, sure. Well, yeah, sure, why not try something different, right? So I tried out. Uh, passed everything uh, at a because we were just new, we were trying it out. Uh, our standards was a little lower than what the, the SWAT team was. Mm-hmm. So when he comes, well, you have to be at least able to get uh, whatever percentage it was to uh, to be interviewed. And I said, I passed everything. He goes, Oh, good. He goes, Well, let me talk to a couple of guys, and we'll get back. To and I was in SWAT Sunday. Wow. 
Dude, and they didn't even make you take a test on a piece of paper. Like, circle the one that is a rifle. No. And, you know, like, <laughs> wow. No, it was that quick. And I remember they called me because I had to meet the whole team. It wasn't like nowadays where you go, I met the team that I was going to, and they were allowed to ask whatever questions within reason. There we go. So who was in the room? Oh, who, no, no. I'm not going to get Who were the big boys in the room who were running that Well, you, team? you, you had, at that time, you had um, John Nichols, who interestingly went to Mounted. Okay. Uh, you had Dale. I think Dale was there. Hack. Yeah, Hack. Uh, Dale Hack. Dale yeah, Dale mm-hmm. Hackbart. You had Will Mixon. You had. Oh, that's right, Mixon. Uh, uh, Wayne Bass. Uh, Richard uh, Richard Pace. Um, I think Rob was uh, uh, Bodie. I don't know if Bodie came after. Yeah, I think Bodie came after John, because John Nichols was. A lead. And uh, I know I'm forgetting somebody to have the team. Um, Tim? No. Tim was in a different unit. Okay. So what unit was this? Uh, E unit. Yeah. We were the 880s back then. So for those that don't know, the the, the SWAT teams divide up into like four teams. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was with the 80s. They call them the 80s. And so I was with the 80s. And, um, yeah, and that's – I sat in front of them. They asked me questions and said, okay. Ronald Duarte. Sorry, he's the one. Duarte, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, Who was uh, the supervisor? Joe Denemy. Okay. Yeah. He's been talked about a lot in yeah. a lot of episodes, and I've, I've, a lot of people have suggested him come on. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's yeah. heard nothing but good things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was good. And he, so I interviewed with him, and he called me Sunday and said, hey, uh, welcome to SWAT. And the first thing I said was, I didn't tell my horse. I go, yeah, yeah, I said, break up a while, that though. was the first yeah. thing I said was, I haven't told my horse yet. I said, this is going to be strange. You know, he goes, well, you got a week to tell him. Oh, them. man. And so I went and had a long talk. And believe it or not, you know, the craziest thing is that uh, uh, my horse had never kicked me. He threw me off a couple times, but never kicked me or bit me or anything. And that last week, he kicked me. Because uh, leaving it, yeah. Because yeah. so. we had a talk. And that was... <laughs> or did he kick you because he wanted you to leave? Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, that yeah. could yeah. be too, yeah. yeah. He's like, get off me, yeah. No, that no. that could have been it. I never thought about that, yeah. yeah. Always looking the positive uh, side. <laughs> hoofing the ass out the door. Yeah, you know. it was crazy. I go, you're mad, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. So would you, I mean, that, that macho SWAT culture, especially back then, what was that like? So uh, I look at it today versus how i was back then and Mm -hmm. i see it even today Mm -hmm. you come over you learn things and you start to get this feeling which is no different realistically than being in patrol is it fair to say that a patrol officer has you need at least five years to understand what's going on you mean you're talking about just in general feeling like the rookie or the new guy all the time yeah 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 Mm -hmm. and so as a new person, and no matter what you're at, and, and I, where I'm going with this is, I look back now and go like, yeah, there's. I think I was immature in a lot of stuff. Even though I was being trained in a lot of different stuff, I was okay or started learning about things. And it isn't until you get older that you start learning, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. You know, maybe I need to do this. Maybe I do that. And I still see it, and I see it today with the kids that we, or sorry, the guys that we got now. Mm-hmm. 
uh, the young ones that are coming in. And I'm watching that the, you know, like Danny himself here, right? He's got time on now. So he's becoming one of the senior guys and carries himself as a senior guy. And that's no pun intended. I'm just, he carries himself as a senior guy. But when you're new, you're new. Doesn't matter what you are, right? Yeah. It takes time to build that up, figure out where you belong, what you should be doing. And then you get to that point where people start looking for you and go to you. So I was probably a little more immature back then. Well, we, I mean, even in the Southeast when I was young, I mean, I had, luckily I had a group of veteran officers that would keep me in line, but I was still very immature. Hell, I, by the time I met Danny, I was kind of older guy. And I understand, I see a huge difference, even just sure. patience, patience. You got to have so much patience with this job and everything. And I would imagine you probably learned a lot of patience with the horses, the horses. Yeah. Yeah. So did you start off being a negotiator right away for your squad? No. Actually, so um, you're slamming first. I know that. Uh, yeah, but, but we all have lots of jobs here. Right. So, so what else were you doing? So I did, I did slamming for quite a bit, and then you know you earn your way up and down, uh, up the line to figure out where they want to put you. And, and and I will say this for you, sir, and everyone else that a slammer isn't necessarily a specialty. It's one of those things that all the new guys have to do as part of learning the job and getting that experience of being at the at that breach yeah and it gets to a point where if you got a good uh, a good good guy that's slamming you want to be a one-hit wonder you want to hit that door on the first hit and get it open and that's as a slammer it doesn't matter when you slam that's the one you want you want to be the one-hit wonder so that if you're one-hit wonder they usually know you'll get it on the first first one um but I did that for a while, and then um, they pegged me for a sniper. And I was like, okay. You know, back then, they just say, you're sniping. They may ask you. But I was like, sure. Don't know anything about it. And started that. Do you feel your patience, your natural patience that you – and now we're going to get into negotiation. But right. to be a negotiator, that's like some of the most ultimate patience, right? In, right, in right, right. You had, you had to learn it with a horse, and, you know, horses are so empathic, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and I, I would imagine that that's how you evolved through your career as a person, as, an, as a professional, as a sniper. Can you describe that patience that that takes? Well, the patience is basically, you know, learning a whole new uh, system of doing something that you've never done before, and when you learn how to do that – it's it's very interesting and when you start seeing what you're really capable of doing uh that in itself is pretty cool when you're able to hit a you know a quarter at 100 yards and you've never done that i mean that yeah. builds a lot that starts building confidence on the things that you can do with patience and understanding and there again back then uh i had some really good trainers uh who were some of them uh, well, the first, the overall person was uh, Sergeant uh, Bob Newton, Robert Newton. Uh, we knew stuff when I would go to a sniper school. We knew more stuff uh, about things that were going on uh, in sniping than than I would have known because you know they'd be talking about this and this, and somebody would be like, "Well, we don't do that." And I'm like, "Yeah, we do," you know. And we learned it from this guy and this guy. So back then, we had a heck of a crew that were senior guys that uh, really were able to get me into 
doing well. How big was the snapper? How long had the snapper program been going on before you got there? Well, SWAT, if I'm not mistaken, was developed, uh, came into like in the late 60s. The 60, yeah, yeah. Late 60s. So that is one thing that kind of ties in with the negotiations because back then, our forefathers, when they were coming up with this, they had the, the idea that they wanted to be self-contained. And in being self-contained, they wanted everybody to be in the group, no outsourcing, which would mean you're not getting somebody else outside the group to come in and do a job mm-hmm. in the group. If that makes sense. Yeah, which you still have in some of these smaller agencies. Like right. a patrol guy may be a sniper and get called in for a SWAT operation. Exactly. And that's all he does is the sniping. Right, right, yeah. right, absolutely. Same to go, goes for negotiations. Negotiations, yeah. right. Okay, speaking of negotiations, I want to get into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, our guest here, so she actually wanted to have the topic of negotiations. She sent me several topics along with other fans across the – the country and also world. You're the reason I have to be here this morning with Shady then, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one of them was The Negotiator. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that movie, The Negotiator, with uh, with Spacey and uh, Samuel Jackson. I'm yes. sure you have too. Yes. What, j- just uh, out of curiosity, what did you think of that movie? It's a movie. I, okay, okay. <laughs> I, I love it. Yeah, it's, it's a movie. It's entertaining. Yeah, but, it, yeah. it's a good movie. Okay. There are some things in there uh, that are kind of cool, but yeah. uh, it's a movie. Any accuracy? With uh, some. Really? Yeah, some. Was there some? Could you look at that movie, and with all the training you've had and all the experiences you've had, can you look at that movie and go, all right, they did a little bit of research. Could you tell or no? Uh, I would probably say uh, they probably had some directions in things, okay. uh, how it's you know, they they have to make it – let me put this – I don't want to use that term. I would say that they're, the directors and the actors and that, they have to make it entertaining one way or another. It's you know, sensationalizing, it. yeah. Right. So they may take a, something and tweak it a little bit. Um, the part where uh, Kevin uh, Spacey mm-hmm. Space, yeah, yeah. Uh, hangs up on him. I yeah. thought that was great. <laughs> and I went, okay, I like that one. That's good. He hangs up um, on it. And you end up using it. Huh? Yeah, I, yeah. I have Yeah, I have used it. Uh, really? Yeah. Don't lie. I know you yeah. have. Yeah. I've been on an op- Yes, I know you yeah. have. Uh, but he, Don't but, call here again. Yeah, well, here's the thing of it. You know, the, um, you know, it's like there's a time and place for everything, right? And I want to be careful that I'm not uh, – encouraging anybody to do that right uh there's it's a, a feel at the moment it, it's yeah. a feel and there's a lot of things what works for danny may not work for me and i've seen that blow up in somebody's face when they tried to do something like the way i would do it and i was like no <laughs> i go you're you're not there don't don't even try to do that right um yeah i would say that but i did like it yeah I thought yeah that, that was a bad you know i, I, I looked at that and went like I went. I watched it recently because I knew we were going to have mm-hmm. you on. Just uh, it's been a while since I've seen that. It's yeah, inter- it's very entertaining. Yeah. Of course, I didn't take any money. So yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, no. So going into the negotiations, that when you got involved, how did you get involved? And then what was the what was it like in the unit when you got involved back then? So um, I was sniping, doing my thing. Uh, everything was nice, and then. Uh, 
I got approached by two of the senior negotiators, and they asked me if Who I, were they? Uh, at that time, it would be Raul Duarte mm-hmm. and uh, Raul Marino. Okay. And those guys were top-notch guys. Okay. And uh, they kind of pulled me aside and asked me, what do you think, would I be interested in negotiations? And I said, okay, uh, I can do that. So I did that and uh, started there. One, uh, my lieutenant at the time, uh, Lieutenant Owens. Bob uh, Owens. Bobby. Yep. Bobby O. Uh, he pulled me aside and talked to me and said that uh, they can train people to do certain things. It's very hard to find someone that can be a negotiator. Okay. Uh, now that may have been a <laughs> that may have been a, a line or something, but it, you know you got to have some type of be able to connect with people. I guess that would be the term. And he said, it, "For the team, can you do this?" And I'm like, "Sure," because it's about the team, right? The only thing I asked him was if I could still keep my credentials as a sniper, because. Uh, I was excelling, ex, ex, uh, accelerating, excel. Uh, I was doing very well in uh, what we call glass ballistics. So that was kind of an area that I was into within the sniping community. Can you explain that for the listener? Because I'll have some people Googling it. <laughs> so glass ballistics, basically, like if you think about it, your, your average sniper is out there. They're going to be around some type of barrier generally glass whether it's a house a building a car uh, very seldom do you have individuals that are just standing out in the open right just standing there not to say it doesn't happen it does happen but a lot of times on barricaded people and things like that you have that glass or that barrier uh, I was very fortunate to go down in 1998 I was very fortunate to go down to uh, um, Bryan College, uh, where they were hosting a sniper seminar, and the U.S. Mm. Army was there. And I picked that up by uh, attending one of theirs. And it was about like a two- or three-hour block. And I came back to Sergeant uh, Newton, mm-hmm. the, the sniper sergeant, talked to him, and he just said, there's not anybody that touches on this. He goes, run with it. And so I've been running with it for like the last 22 years, 22 years. Still doing it. Yep, and still, still doing it. it. Yeah. Uh, and it basically what it is, it talks about what rounds each department has to, each sniper has to make their own decision on what they what round they feel best going through glass. Well, it's the angle of those rounds and how it throws the shot off. And, right. Right. You know, so taking a shot, how that will affect the other side of that glass. Where's that round going? Is it going where we intend? You know, is it hitting exactly what we want to hit? Is that round coming apart and not effective at all terminally? Fragment, yeah. Yeah, and and, and the thing that we look at or the thing that we try to talk about is if, God forbid, we have a situation where you have a hostage situation and, God forbid, the, the sniper has to eliminate this threat, how is this, the individual holding the hostage? Because now that you're, you know, if you're driving a straight line, nothing's in front of you. It's, no, it's generally not an issue. But now that it's hitting some 
a, uh, a glass, piece of glass or a barrier as we call it, now that projectile isn't going necessarily in a straight line. So we have to try to learn as much as we can about how different bullets react because if it if it goes through and it make and we know that as a terminology the the projectile tumbles the the bullet tumbles then that may not be the best round to be using because it can hit the hostage if he's in there by himself and he's created a situation where the threat needs to be eliminated well then so be it but when there's a hostage that's where everything has to be looked at a little differently and, and the different types of glass would make a difference. Exactly. Like yeah. a windshield different, as opposed the, to a house. Different makeups yeah. and layers of the glass, wow. what it's made out of, how thick, um, where the target is behind the glass. Five feet is different than 15 feet, and mm-hmm. that, that can make a difference on how that round impacts or affects the subject. Yeah. That's fascinating. I, no, I'm glad, I'm glad, we, I'm glad you, we got into this. Because, yeah. yeah, that way the – I'm going to probably get a lot of questions otherwise, <laughs> and I don't know. I don't yeah. know this myself. I, this is not my expertise. Yeah. I, lo- I love this. It, it, it's more about the classes and setup. It, it's to train you what to look for so that Layman, they can go Layman's up. physics. It's, yeah. it's a physics class, but it's for us who can understand Which is, it. if you know me, I know nothing about physics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so, I like that sound. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm, yeah, I teach physics. Yeah. Yeah, right. Physics instructor. Yeah. I, I'm going to put that as your title on the No, no, on no, the no, no. Don't even go there. Yeah. <laughs> well, you are considering velocity, and you are considering what it's going through, so there are some yeah. components to it. Nah. Uh, <laughs> I'm staying away from that one as far as I can. <laughs> All right. We'll give you, like, an honorary PhD. There you go. Physics. There you go. That. Yeah. So you got it in negotiation. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so lieutenant asked me if i wouldn't mind doing negotiations i said yeah so that's when i started okay and your instructors were uh mine so well the lead instructors raul and mm-hmm. uh, uh duarte and mm-hmm. uh raul marino mm-hmm. those were kind of like the guys the go-to guys back then and then you had kevin jackson and uh christian delessandro okay another so what kind of training was involved in preparation for that uh, well, first of all, uh, I had to attend a 40-hour basic negotiation school, so I worked with that. Um, once you get through there, then uh, there's other other types of training that we go to try to uh, perfect our skill of active listening. And then you attend conferences, uh, you go to seminars, and uh, that's kind of the way it works out to uh, get to that that training that you have and then of course we train just like anyone else would you know we set up scenarios we talk about certain uh how are we going to handle this uh and you, go do to, the, you go to negotiator the, competitions yeah there are negotiator competitions um that was one thing uh that's really cool i've never heard that what, yeah what, what is that what does that entail so they're they're around the country um, we usually go to the one here in san marcos down mm-hmm. in texas and uh, we'll bring a team. We, we weren't bringing teams because, again, um, for the audience, just to get an, uh, an understanding of how negotiators work within SWAT, is that most SWAT departments around the country have their entry guys. And negotiators are not part of SWAT. They assist SWAT or they supplement SWAT, but they're not part as operators 
they're a total different entity with a total different chain of command. Yeah, so you could have an officer, a patrol guy, yes. a negotiator, or you could have a civilian yes. psychologist yes. coming in. And then actually LAPD does both. They have yeah. SWAT guys be negotiators, and there's always a psychologist negotiator who is there as well with that SWAT negotiator. Yep. That's how they do it. But Yeah, and and that's the, the, the concept. Um, you can have teams like that that work very well together, very well together. But there's a lot of teams out there that it doesn't work because, you know, they're, you know, the way they look at each other, they're always bumping heads. These guys You mean the SWAT to, team versus that one negotiator? negotiator. Yeah. Well, the negotiating team. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The negotiating team because the negotiators, you know, everyone thinks that, hey, we're here, you know, peacemakers. That, that's our nickname, or piss, our peacemakers. And, of course, everyone thinks, you know, the, the SWAT guys, the intro guys, they just want you know beat their chest, go inside, and, you know, tear things up. And both are farthest from the truth, right? Uh, we go back to when our forefathers thought about that. They said they wanted to be a part of it. So with that being said, uh, in, in Danny's job, he's been entry and, and sniping that. I, as I, when I'm negotiating, I'm negotiating in his favor, meaning that what a simple question – I might be is like, hey, Bobby, look, you know, Bobby being my person in size, like, look, man, we want in this peacefully. Just turn the light off or on. Let me know it's okay. That's it, right? Well, when that light comes on, he now has an understanding, one, where he may be, or number two, he may be able to see something, um, which is a good thing, right? Um, and that helps him being able to achieve the goal of all of us bringing out somebody that's in a crisis right yeah and it, yeah that's you're quarterbacking in a way for for your your other operators that are around oh yeah right? yeah we're, we're doing there's every ten, you're doing something for a reason is right okay. right and and they will let us know if there's something that they want us to try or do because if they're telling me hey this is what our it's there's no second guessing it's like yeah okay i can get it done because they see something or they know something i don't because you got to remember i'm not necessarily where they're at so i depend on them as much as i can and hopefully they depend on me to get that same thing so i guess maybe this is something you can further explain but on dallas dallas swat Mm -hmm. our negotiators are swat guys yes and it's not that they just do negotiations yes they are running entry every day on the warrants going out to the operations and it's not every operation they negotiate it's just if it's their if it's their time up in the rotation to do it and so it's a difference of left hand talking to right hand which we see with other teams where we have a separate negotiating team from the SWAT teams now there's not that difference if if I'm on a negotiation team I have my ideas of the priority and the mission and that could be different from the SWAT guys and now we're disagreeing on not only what that objective is, but how we're going to get it done. And that's something Dallas does not do. We, we're all yeah. in this together. And I we, mean, we speak the same language yeah. and on the same page with everything. Yeah, and, oh, and it's not to say that, you know, it, it's a perfect world because it's not. And like I tell people, other agency, I go, it's a way. It's not the way. It is a way, and it works for us. And other teams will say, well, this works for more power to you. If it works, it works. As long as you're getting the job done, that's all it. 
but the competition to get back to that is that you usually get about 30 or four about 30 teams uh will come and uh there is a um uh dr wayne mellon's shout out uh mm-hmm. he is the mastermind of all this and he puts on a very intensive uh scenario and um I'm very fortunate to not be to be part of the negotiation team, but I also do judging. So, with that, um, generally he picks up realistic things that have happened in the past from all over the world, and then he'll have a twist to them. And your negotiating team that is up that day, so they split it in two days. The first day is usually. Uh, all hands on deck of classroom mm-hmm. uh, presentations. The next two days are the competition. So half the group will do the competition of a scenario where, example, I might be a judge and judge one of those teams. And then the next day, my team will be in there and they will be judging us. So. When you're judging these, uh, you have to be an open mind. You have to know the experience of the team. Uh, Teams like to be encouraged at times. Other teams know, let us do it our way. And what do you say? The cards fall where they may. Yeah. Right. Um, And then the last days, everyone gets together. We, you know, may talk and whatever, have dinner, and they give out awards the first place in that. Uh, and they're being judged by other the, the yeah. team. Okay, Most of the awesome. judges there, there's usually about 25 to 30 judges. Mm-hmm. And we sit there. And uh, when you do them, it, it's pretty interesting because as a judge, it's good and bad. You learn a lot by watching these other teams. However, you're in there for eight hours judging. <laughs> and you're listening and watching and doing all. And it gets very long. Um and uh, yeah, it, it's good. It's good training. Our guys, the first time they went, uh, we took sixth place out of twenty-eight. Uh, the awesome. next time we went, we dropped down to sixteen. So it also goes by uh, how the team works. Uh, one thing that we feel is that uh, sometimes the judges that are judging us don't understand our way because they're not they're not SWAT uh, they don't have that SWAT training where we do that can hurt us in a competition sometimes but help you in real life but setting. help us in real life yeah. like most teams around the country when they negotiate they will negotiate with four or five people when we go out we have two but we have backup systems in place that can help us fill those other teams, the other members of the team. So you might be an intel person on a negotiation team uh, where I can pick up a phone and call our fusion section because our fusion section is nothing more that is an intel base. You know, these are the guys that computer whiz guys that can find anything they want. And so we make a call. We tell them this is what we got. They're already working up everything. They're working up everything. So that eliminates one person. But it's being done. You're going to say something, sir? 
Not necessarily, but I just say maybe you can explain that. What, what are the roles of those? If we have two negotiators at the command post, what are those two roles, primary and secondary? Yeah. Kind of oh, okay, so basically a negotiating team, we'll use your traditional negotiating team. You have your primary, the one in the hot seat. You have your secondary, which is the person that listens to the conversation between the primary and the individual. You have your intel person. You have your data guy. Your data guy is usually what they call a whiteboard. Uh, he writes on a whiteboard all the information that's being down. The reason why they do that, because in a heated moment, if you're in the hot seat and the individual says something, you have an opportunity to look up there and see it in writing. Get the name right. And get the name right. Get, get the, the date phone or name. whatever they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, whatever so they're they talking about. Off. Or you hit a subject they don't want to talk about. It's already up there, so it's constantly reminding you. Right. Um, and then, of course, most teams uh, will have a liaison between negotiator and, and SWAT feeding them information. Well, we don't need that because we all work together. We have one command staff. Uh, our command staff knows exactly what everyone's doing. So there's no reason to be fulfilling that. So usually when we get called out, we use two people, your primary and your secondary. Uh, we, if there's a free body, we'll pick up a, another person and say, hey, we need for you to uh, help us go talk to somebody and find out the true story. But even that in itself is a whole different system because, you know, they may not necessarily know all the questions to ask, and that can create a problem. Uh, one of the biggest things that, that happens, and it's not against patrol or anything, but we'll get called out of, a, of somebody that's in a house, and we'll say, did you go around the back of the house to secure it before you called? Yes, we got there. Okay, so this house has been completely surrounded. Yeah. Well, we've learned that we have to say, when you got here, what was the first thing you did? Well, I did this and this and this. Okay. How long did it take for you to get to the back to figure out? Well, it took me about two or three minutes. At two, three minutes, that guy can be out the door. And it's no fault for them because it's moving fast, right? For us, we're going like two or three minutes. Yeah, that guy's probably next city over. And Why do you ask them in that way? Because generally when they're in a situation where they've got this big fiasco going on, uh, it's slowing everything down, and we're getting them to rethink and slow it down and say, okay, let's, let's look at it this way, right? Okay, I got it, got it, got it. Okay, now we're getting good information. It's not on. The, it's not their fault. I mean, it's not you know, especially if it's a young officer, older officer. Yeah, an older officer may be a little different, but uh, so that's how we would work. I think that was your question. Yeah. Okay, going to the uh, the training. Are you are you familiar with the stairway mo the stairway model? Active listening, empathy, rapport, influence, behavioral change. Okay, so active listening. Mm -hmm is a skill it is how you hear people and there are steps within that so when you're talking about a model right when you talk about a, a model or the stairways the fbi calls it one way someone else another organization may call it some way or we may call it some way active listening is a skill it's how you communicate how you let that person know the rest of it is how you use the model. So the model that we work under is uh, building a rapport. You got to be able to have some type of rapport to talk to some 
to somebody. Second part's gonna be the precipitating event, which means how did we get here today, right? The next one's going to be focus. Because let's say I'm talking to somebody that says, I lost my job, I lost my car, I lost my wife, you know, they took the dog. Okay. I can't solve all that, right? It's a merry-go-round. And when they get stuck on that merry-go-round, they don't know what they're going to do. You know, they're trying to think of this or this, right? Um, the best example I can say is uh, if you go to your garage, except for Danny's, I already I can already picture his. But <laughs> if, Danny's what? Yeah. Well, hold on. Yeah, you'll get it. Right. If you go into your average garage, you know most people can't get a car in it. I'm sure he can put all his cars in it, but <laughs> uh, most people can't put a car in their garage because there's so many boxes. Or you go to a room, that junk room, right? And you open the door, you look at, it, and you just go like, no. I don't want to deal with this, right? I don't know where to begin. I don't, all right? Shut it. However, if Joe calls Danny and Danny's garage is that way, but Joe calls Danny and says, hey, Danny, I need help clean my garage. Oh, yeah, I'll be right there. And then when he gets there, he can help Joe clean his garage, right? But he can't go home and do it because it's overwhelming. So when you have somebody that's in that, that precipitating event, we got to get to find out what happened today. Then we got to get him to focus in on what's the main thing what is it get off that merry round put your foot down and find out what it is that's going on right um the other example that that's crazy is that if you go into your your you go back to your garage you're like okay i'm going to do this all right so you stand there and you take a box out and you put it down and then as you're going through that box you're going like okay well this is going to goodwill so i'm going to put this over here oh this one here is going over to my aunt sue oh this one and then you turn around you got five boxes right and you only had one to begin with and then you're gonna like okay now i gotta go back through these again eventually and it just keeps going on. you're adding to the problem right right yeah. so you got to put your foot on the ground right uh so that's the first that you get off the merry-go-round then once you find out what the focus is then you can start working on the resources what can we do to to make this a happy ending for everybody what are we going to be able to do right and then you're going to have a plan of action now plan of action is different for different things depending on what your action is so that's the model the active listening skills they have a whole set of things that we use paraphrasing uh, uh emotional labeling uh, now you got i probably use them every day and now i'm sitting here trying to think about uh mirroring uh more pies empathy uh motion all these things come like, and that's how you talk to. So I would ask you guys, when do you think active listening as a communication started? As soon as, I mean, I would imagine. No. Before you got there, right? No. When do you okay. think active listening skills started? Like the development of it? Well, my girlfriend probably would say I'd never learned that at all. But I would imagine that was, it would, as a child. What do you think? Probably in the womb. Womb? Okay. Haven't heard that one, but that's good. That, that's Danny. He's yeah, that's he, Danny. Yeah, thinking, yeah. Yeah, he's thinking outside the box. Yeah. What do you think, Miss Sarah? I think, I think with some people, they learn it from an early age, and others never learn it and have mm -hmm. a harder time with communicating with people in general. Sure. Well, active listening has started like since biblical times, right? Because the salespeople use it all the time. Salespeople use it all the time for the simple fact that when you tell them you're looking for a red car, the salesman goes, oh, 
you're looking for a red car. Okay, so he's just confirmed. He's repeated back what you just said, which is an active listening skill. Mm -hmm. And then he's going to say, hey, yeah, or he may approach you and go, ah, you look like you're a Corvette guy. Yeah, well, he's building that rapport with you. How many of you, what I always say cracks me up is, and I like playing with people sometimes because I realize they're doing active listening skills, so I want to see how good they are at it. Um, so I'm not good to do, talk to people, especially people, the, the spam calls. Yeah. I have fun with them. I feel bad for them when I hang up, but um, quick. We've been just letting my four-year-old talk to him now. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah just let him go. Yeah, just let him. So, uh, he actually gets upset. Oh, is that a telemarketer call? Yeah. I was supposed to talk this. Yeah, yeah I love it. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I had a problem with my computer one time and I was calling them up because it, the screen just froze. And this was way before, you know, most people know how to fix your own now, but I called the guy up and it was not from, he did not appear to be from America. Mm -hmm. Um, but when he called, you know, it was like, hello. And I said, yeah, I said, I'm having problems with my computer. He goes, so I hear you having problems with your computer. And I went, here we go. And I, he goes, have you tried to do this? Yes, I've tried to do that. Have you, yes, I've tried mm. to do that. He goes, okay. So what I hear you say is that this doesn't work when you do this. This is, uh, yeah, you're good, good, good. And I said, okay. But is that really active listening or are they reading the script? Well, they're probably reading the script, yeah. but somebody wrote the script sure. that is active listening. An active listening model. Yeah, yeah. a model for yeah. them or, or yeah, skills, right? And then it gets to the part where, oh, okay, I understand. Do you? And I said, <laughs> you understand? He goes, yes. He goes, I understand. I go, do you have a computer in front of you? He goes, yes. I go, is it working? He goes, yes. I go, I have to teach tomorrow. Mine's not working. So therefore, you can't understand how this is happening right now because I'm in a panic mode. And then I went off on him. And I like, do you still understand? He goes, no, sir. Yeah. <laughs> and I went, so. so you use your influence. That was yes, nice. yes, yeah, yes, 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 yes. That's how you influence yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah. situation. Yeah. So going back, if you could, your first negotiation, how did that go? Oh, man, Joe, I got to tell you, I've been doing it a long time. Okay. I, don't remember it? Don't remember it? Yeah. I don't really? Remember. Yeah. So, you, you know, here, here's... So it must have not have gone terrible because it would No, no, no. Yeah. You know what's interesting in, in someone... Someone that is is that I'm close with in the negotiating world uh, could see that I was having a hard time one time, and uh, he asked me. He said, uh, he asked me how many I'd lost. Or I, I told him. I said, yeah, I said, about six. I think between five and six people. I think uh, if I really thought about it. Uh, mm -hmm. And he said, how many have you saved? And I said, I have no clue. Right. And he said, well, maybe that's what you should be thinking about. And I went, ooh, touche. I go, that's a good one on that one. So I give him credit for that. So, yeah, uh, obviously it didn't go bad because I was. All right, so then out of those five or six, mm -hmm. is there one of them you can talk about and kind of yeah, yeah. talk us through what, yeah. what is a bad one for you so and how did it evolve that I way? think a bad one, uh, and Danny and I talked a little bit about it. Um, so the first two people I lost was on national TV. Uh, when they were filming Dallas SWAT. And at the time, it, I didn't think about it till after it was all said and over and done. But the first one I lost, uh, which is really, really crazy, uh, he had committed a murder, uh, it, and he was barricaded inside of a hotel. 
And ironically, they were both hotels, too. He was barricaded inside of a, a hotel. We were able to make contact. I had great support. Uh, we used, at that time, because it was a small structure, I was, I was able to have all the other senior guys because I was a junior guy. So you had Kevin Jackson, Joe Guzman, uh, Raul Marino, and they were kind of like my backup on talking and, you know, giving me clues and things like that. Um, but he wanted to talk to his girlfriend, and we found out that his girlfriend wanted nothing to do with him, nothing to do with him, even in this situation. Um, I even tried to talk to her, and she's like, I'm not interested. He's going to do what he's going to do. I'm like, oh, man, that's kind of crazy. Uh, so we talked, and we tried to find out. Uh, he knew that he was going to jail. He had a daughter, a young daughter, uh, a child at the time, uh, like baby. And uh, he was talking about her a little bit, and we tried to work that into the picture of, like, you know, most people think that, when you go to jail, life's over. But in reality, you know, it life's over if you choose for it to be over, right? Uh, there are other options that you have when you're in jail, meaning um, you Rehab can still be a great father. Rehabilitation, no way. And, and a goal well, I don't even look at that. There. I don't even look at that. I'm mm -hmm. just talking about when someone says, you know, I'll never see my kid again because mm -hmm. I'm going to jail. I said, no, that's your that, you're making that decision. You, have, you can easily change that. You know, you can go see somebody. You can go talk. You can go talk to them. They can send you pictures. They can do all this kind of stuff nowadays. I said, it's what you make of it. You got to work for it, but you can do it, right? So with that being said, that's something that we tried to use. And it seemed to be working. Everything was working. And um, I know that he, uh, we were able to talk to him. He had a pistol. And I told him, he said he was going to kill himself. And we figured it out. Even in the, in the show, I wrote down, this is going to be suicide. So I was already being prepared for it. And I remember telling him that. What made you think that? By his mannerism, by how he was talking. And it just didn't sound good. Yeah, more on that, how he was talking. Yeah. Where, where are some of the things being well, said? Like, as in so, desperation so, yeah, or, wait, as, or as in resolved and at peace? Thank you. When we get to a part where somebody's getting to that point, uh, they lose all hopeless. They're, they're all hope. It's hopelessness. And you're trying to find anything that's going to give them some hope. And when everything's negative, 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 those are the signs that start coming into it. And uh, it's very much like uh, when someone's talking. If I'm talking and Danny and I are talking and all of a sudden I just start not talking as much or I start talking low. That's the sign. Those That's one are, of the that signs. That could be a sign. Yeah. He's starting to go down, right? Uh, but the funny thing about suicide is um, at what point do you think somebody would kill themselves? So I'd ask you guys. I, I would think emotionally. Emotionally. De desperation or, or hope. Just, there is, there's nothing. I would feel that there was nothing could make, however, the, the feeling I'm having. Nothing I could do that could make get me out of that rut, make me feel better, mm -hmm. or fix the situation that got me there in the first place. Mm -hmm. I, that's what I would feel. When they feel so much pain, they don't know how to make it end. So, actually, um, you kind of you guys are are pretty much 
close, right? Beating so around the bush. If you yeah. think a, a let's you a trough, but let's for the viewer's sake to imagine uh, a V, mm-hmm. the letter V. So if you look at the left side of the V, the the emotions are you know every, life's okay, and then it starts going down the V towards the bottom, and as it gets towards the bottom. Uh, that's where you start getting your uh, maladaptive uh, uh, management, which basically... Poor, poor coping skills. Yeah, coping yeah. skills, yeah. So you get to that part where you drink, you, you know, drugs, you, infidelity, whatever yeah. it is, you start having those, you get all the way down to the bottom, and you would think that's where it happens. Uh, but actually, it's not where it happens. It's when you start going back up the V is where it happens. Why is that? I was going to ask you, okay. why do you think it is? Mm-hmm. Is it because you're try you, you fear yourself getting out of you you've gotten so used to the risky behavior and 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 the drinking and you're getting out of it, it does it feel is it the feeling of you can't go any further that that's as good as it's going to get or that you've found a way out of it finally and that that's your plan now where I'm going at is that you have to have energy to kill yourself and when you're down so low, you have you, no energy. You have no energy. Left. You got nothing. But at that point, when you're down so low, are you usually planning? That's what you're trying to do. You could, be pl- you could be planning. You could be doing that. But it's not going to have action, really, because you're right. totally empty. You're, you're depleted. Empty. You're down there, and you know you could have the gun there and go, like, I don't feel like killing myself. I, you know, you, it, it isn't until you start looking and going, like, now you're starting to go up, and you're going, like, this is it. You're starting to slowly come up, and you're going, like, well, Okay. This is how I'm going to do it. And you're starting to go up, and you're starting to go up. And as you're starting to go up, that's when it's real dangerous. And that's the part that I was seeing in him as he was starting to go back up. So a conversation might be something like if we're talking, um, I would be, if I was the, the individual in crisis, I'd be saying like, well, you know, nothing works. You know, I just, just here you know what Joe everything's gonna be okay I'm gonna make it through this everything's gonna be fine don't worry everything so when it changed from here to here that's when you're on that edge and that's the part that you're trying to work at because it just goes from zero to racing speed not all the times but generally you have to have that energy that boost and unfortunately when you have someone that's in that boost, um, you can see it. If somebody's jumping off a bridge uh, or getting ready to, they have signs that they start to do it. And when I start seeing those signs, those are things that I that I realize, okay, this we're in that area there. Uh, if we can just get them beyond that, then we have a better chance. Um, someone that shoots himself, uh, generally they're to a part where they're uh, – they take a quick breath. They look at it and they go like, whoosh, 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 boom, because they have to get that energy to do it. Yeah, huffing themselves up. Or, yeah, they're, yeah. Uh, wow. someone that you, shoots drugs. Yeah, you said the energy. You're tr- that's their way of getting psyched up. up yeah. Okay. I got psyched up. To and is that what this person did uh, that, you know, if, on the show? If, from what I remember, he, uh, I think part of it was um, negotiations were going well. He actually threw out uh, – I we were able to talk about it and we came up with a plan that it was a good idea if he 
I said, if you're talking about killing yourself, then basically you just need one round, mm-hmm. right? There's no reason to hurt anybody else. You just need one round. And he took, he had a bag of ammunition. He threw it out, out the uh, door because, well, I got to be careful because there are some, I mean, I've gone this far. There are some things that uh, I don't like to get out because mm-hmm. I don't want right. someone to don't, think You don't want it. trade secrets. I don't yeah. want trade yeah. secrets, but. He was able to get get the ammunition out, okay. and I thought that was a great thing. We made some good report on that. On the other part to it, you know, uh, sadly he he ended up uh, killing himself, and uh, yeah, that was the first one. Really? Yeah. And the odd thing about that uh, is that four months ago, I received a phone call. And it was this lady that called. I said, yeah, how can I help you? She goes, are you JD? And I said, yes. She goes, are you JD that was on the TV show? And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. Yes. Can I talk to you for a second? Sure. Do you remember the hotel and do you remember so-and-so? Yeah, and I'm I'm wondering why are we, where's this going? And she says, I'm the daughter. And I went, ooh. I just went like. So I remember looking at everybody in the office, and they didn't know what was going on. I went, I got to get up. So I got up, got my phone. Uh, I called her back on my cell phone, and I walked outside. And she goes, you were the last person to talk to my dad, and I don't know him. Can you tell me anything about him? I'm like, uh, and so, like Danny knows, I, I, I'm an emotional guy. I mean, I don't know why. I just am. I'm probably the most, the most emotional SWAT guy you'll ever meet. I cry at everything. But <laughs> um, I know that uh, it was a uh, – it was really – it took me off guard. And she goes – I asked her, I said, so how are you doing? She goes, well, remember the girlfriend? The girlfriend – didn't want to didn't yeah. want to do anything so she had no one to talk to and now she's like 16 17 and uh, we started talking I said this is my phone number you call me if you ever need anything and I said you know she sent me pictures of her new baby and her boyfriend and all that and I'm saying you need something you call me I mean that that's the tie to it and you know here I don't remember when it was. It was 2015, maybe. It was a long time ago. But it's interesting because that one's always stuck with me. And she called once or twice, and then we just kind of went away. But I mean, um, I won't forget that one. I'm just like so, that get, she needed closure. She needed, she needed some closure. kind of closure. And, and she was very good about it. She was like, "I'm not here to bother you. I'm not here." She goes, "I'm just looking for closure. I don't know anything about my dad." So. I told her some things about her dad, and, and you know, one of the things that um, at the time his girlfriend was a, a, a the one that didn't want him was a a, a professional dancer. We'll call okay. it. Um, yeah. And uh, we were laughing, and you know, it became guy talk, mm-hmm. and that's the hard part that people don't understand is that 
when you start talking just like Joe and I or Danny, and we're just talking, it, it gets to that point. That's that's part of the rapport, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's, there's camaraderie. You're joking around a little bit, you know, and you're doing this and doing that and everything. And then when it just, you know, happens that quick, you're just like, you know, what the – just happened, right? Uh, but in this case, um, I said, well, I have to admit, you know, in my younger days, I may have a – ventured out into that area to see the professional dancers yeah. and i said uh you know what i said i don't know about you but i would think that you and i just slip out of here and go get a couple of drinks and talk about everything going on here and he goes wouldn't that be great and i'm like buddy you come out i'll figure some way out that we can do that i don't know how uh not that it would you know i'd i'd figure something out right because we don't like to uh, do things that we're not allowed to do, right? right. Uh, command staff's going to say, no, they ain't happening to that. But, you know, I can become very resourceful in thinking of ways to make something happen, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, we joked around a bit. And and then when things started to happen, I realized, that, yeah, it's not going to go well. So you, did you feel at some point that you – there was a way out and you were going to be it was going to have a good outcome and then I you said it was. then you said you wrote down suicide that was in the middle of the kind in the very mm-hmm. beginning okay i wrote down okay then, wow you know because it's a roller coaster it's yeah. up and down and probably that's why i'm so emotional because it goes up and down up and down up and down constantly up and down and just when you think it's going to work it doesn't right so it's like paint in place for those that and you said that was your first one <laughs> yeah that was your first one that that you yeah. lost yeah that's the first one i lost when at that moment when it happened, you you said you you just said, "What the fuck? What just happened?" Yeah. How did that feel to you personally? You're an emotional guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what were you thinking at that moment? If you can remember. Well, I got three great support guys. Okay. The guys that I told were there, you know, and everybody wants to come up and say, "Hey, you know." nice job or you did a good job or whatever and or you did the best you can and that's fine and dandy it carries you for a little while but then you really start thinking and you just can't help but monday quarterback yourself mm-hmm. you know two years later one year later whatever a couple months later and you can't do that so uh you know i tell when i speak i'm very big on and probably a little off the record here but um when I speak uh, to other agencies or conferences and things like that, the last thing I tell them is I'm a huge supporter of the ATO by means of I promote it. And by promoting it, that's a way for officers to get rid of baggage that they're carrying. So I've probably, I have probably had a counselor, for, let's say I started in 1999, by the year 2001, I figured, no. So I was smart enough to realize. So if anything bothers me, you know, I call my counselor and I talk to them to get through it, whatever it is. Because you never know when it's going to come around and hit you, you know. You'll be going and something hits you. So I'm a huge fan of that. And, you know, if something ain't right, I go get it checked out. I've been doing this game a long time. And... uh because of that, I think that's what's kept me going. Because I try not to have a lot of luggage. But you, but you're self-aware of it, right? Oh yeah, you, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's yeah. how you, you you know what you're doing. You know the emotions you're taking, and you're basically a human sponge. And in yep. so many different uh, 
times. Right, right, right. And it's it's gone great. Even the ones that have gone great were an emotional roller coaster, right? And and then you have the ones that you said the five or six that you have lost, mm-hmm. and, you, and you those those you'll never forget those. But you have to go for maintenance. Oh yeah, right, to, to absolutely your, to the therapist. Yeah. yeah, and I encourage you, man. You know, for for when you're in that area, you know, suck it up and go. Right. Mm-hmm. That's it. Just it's like getting a physical. I go every year to get a physical. Make sure you know. I may do a call my counselor. Hey, I got a yearly visit. I want to come in. We'll go sit down, have coffee someplace at Starbucks. We'll talk, mm-hmm. get things out of the way, whatever's bothering me. Uh, just like, because that could be a way for their. You may think everything's fine, mm-hmm. and and you've seen this in other individuals. Oh yeah. But a, 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 somebody on the outside looking in can see something, notice something that you weren't aware of, and point it out to you, and then you go, oh shit, they're right. Oh yeah. Right. People don't realize when they're in crisis. Sometimes they think they're under control, but they don't. They don't have it all together. Not that they can't function. Nothing, but you know they they can function. They can do everything. But you know they're carrying that luggage around, right? I I remember one time I walked in, and uh, she said something about uh, luggage. She goes, it looks like you're carrying a suitcase. I said, no, I brought the suitcase. I said, the U-Haul's packed outside. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, she got to look at that. So, um, How has negotiation evolved since you began, and has your style evolved with all the different experiences? I'm sure you've, you've it was learned by trial and error, but has the negotiations tactics and the way – the direction you go has that changed since you've been doing it um yes tactics have changed but i would also say that um the way active listening else doesn't change active listening is always active listening using those skills it's always the same the majority excuse me can you talk about another critical incidents that. Uh, yeah. Uh, go ahead. We're going to say something, sir. No, any positive one or yes. one that sticks out that's great. That would... Yeah. Um, I was actually on my way to the academy to instruct uh, some mental health because mm-hmm. uh, it kind of goes along with mental health. Of course right? it does. Yeah. Um, it was a young lady that was going through some bad times. And uh, Joe Guzman, uh, he was out there, uh, did a great job. Uh, we work very well. Joe and I work very well together. Uh, but she was on the bridge getting ready to jump, and she's pregnant. And she doesn't want the baby. Could care less about the baby. So are we dealing with one person or are we dealing with two? Now right. we're dealing with two two bodies, right? Because you got a baby. It's almost a hostage. It's, yeah. a, it's a hostage yeah. negotiation situation. Yeah. Basically, yeah. yeah. Uh, because you don't want her to jump because obviously that fall would would definitely well I won't say that well it wouldn't be good for the baby uh, we did a lot of talking um, Joe Joe's very good at what he does uh, we piggyback off each other um, we got to a point where we were able to calm her down and we were able to get her off the bridge or off the rail and she was doing okay talking to us and believe it or not a truck went by and said jump 
and she got back up on top of the edge and her demeanor totally changed. She goes, see, I told you nobody cares. Did you feel you from that got what you had already built to that point? I wanted it. It got torn down and you had to start over. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, no, it's fine. So what that happened and can Mm -hmm. you just further describe and paint the listener a picture of what happened after the truck goes by and basically shot your wheels off? It was like starting all over again Mm -hmm. because now that rapport is there. You know, she's starting to think a little bit better, making some better choices and trying to get this taken care of. And then this guy just, whether he's joking or serious, whatever, but he just screwed up. He didn't realize what he was Stipping, dipping his toe into, you know, I'd imagine. Yeah, an I don't even know if I want to say that. Man, oh, I was like so Like you always mad. say, Joe, just wants to be part of the problem, just yeah. the attention. And just yeah. To, and just like, uh, I know Joe and I looked at each other like, and I was already on I said, stop it, stop it, stop it. I didn't care how long it would take us to get her down, but he and I were going to have a serious talk. Uh, but he had already made it through the line there. Uh, but we were able to get her to come down and uh, – that was a good feeling. When you were when you got back into it, how did y'all have to rebuild it, and how did you finally get her able to where she would come back down? You have to start all over again, building rapport. Did you have to take? Did you take a different approach at that point after she had the, already? The approach worked, and the fact that she was listening to us was one thing. Mm-hmm. And there are times when, uh, I mean, she was. She was pretty much on ground zero, ready to do it. I mean, she was already up. Body was on the top rail. The only thing that was holding her was a little uh, pole for the light on the bridge. That's the only thing. And that's one thing that I give uh, Joe credit as well as myself. i got to pat myself on that is that even with that going on, Joe and I never flinched. We don't flinch because the minute that we start getting excited – can it possibly elevate the situation? Joe's just like smooth. Like, he's an idiot. That guy there, he was an idiot, blah, blah. Finish, just finish telling me what you were telling me. Just come back, right? So there's other things that we would do that, but she came down. Um, with jumpers, uh, I'm a huge hugger because that roller coaster ride. That is my way of, I have my own little, uh, what do you call it, uh, self-healing stuff. So that's one of them. When you get a jumper that's ready to jump um, from or kill themselves, uh, that's, you know, from, a, from police officers to ex-command staff to kids, adults, whatever. When that releases, I don't care what their problem is. And the guys are good about it. They they jab. But the guys, are. I feel, at least understand it. But Marines, or not Marines, uh, military, uh, when you get them to come off a bridge, it is amazing that when you hug them, uh, they all break down and cry. All There's break like down. There's like a release. Yeah. From they that. all break down and cry. And that's pretty emotional. Not that I cry pretty much. But I carry that with me when I leave because that's my feeling. If they cry when I, it, you know, it's like the old school in patrol. If you write a ticket to somebody and they say thank you, you've done your job well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a firm believer that if I get this person to cry 
because they're releasing that 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 stress that they've had then I did what I was supposed to do and that's a good day for me and getting a hug is something that that you just prevented them from they, they were Making in a position a where they were not ever giving any hugs again right and right you're the first one they can yeah. give a hug to and i'm telling you from all the, the the ones that we've dealt with um was a young marine i mean a big he was a good-sized kid and just like, cried like a baby and i'm like that's all right buddy that's what i'm here for right so when I have those happen, you know, that just means that they're on their way to at least getting some help there, you know, and we try to make sure they get that way. So that's good stuff. What would you say about a negotiator would surprise the listener most, like a quality or just a... Okay, so okay. here's a good one. All right. Would you rather say, uh, he may already know this, Danny, uh, but for your, your person that doesn't, mm-hmm. wouldn't, is... Would you rather have a hostage or non-hostage situation? And if so, what would the difference be? Do you know this one? Okay. Well, with a hostage, you you have another life that you're you're trying to save. You're trying to save both. You, the, I believe, the ultimate goal is both lives to come out of there, right? Mm-hmm. That's a tough one. I mean, it, it, versus a non-hostage. A non-hostage, you have one. You have one person that 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 you're trying to get out. You're trying to rescue, right, and and change your mind. But okay. you, but when you when you factor in a hostage, you have a you have there's another individual that whatever tactic you use or anybody that's on the team uses, you're having to account for too. Mm-hmm. Well, as a SWAT guy, I just don't want a hostage. <laughs> you don't want a hostage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean. <laughs> Obviously, I don't want an innocent person. Yeah, yeah, an innocent person getting hurt. So, yeah, if it's uh, someone who's going to do that to themselves, that's where you come in, JD. You're the one. Yeah, well, it's it's also non-hostage. So, if I was to throw in one word, you might be able to figure out non-hostage slash victim. Would that change it? Non-hostage slash victim. Yes. So you're in your mind, let's say that there's a victim there. They were just victimized. Like, like you're on the phone with a murderer, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I would imagine, I, and I'm not a negotiator. I've actually gone mm-hmm. through your through one of your classes in, uh, in the oh, CRT. Did? Yeah, oh. it was great. Was it okay? No, you right. you're, you're great. No, you're great. <laughs> I think just human nature would change your mind about that person in there if they committed a heinous crime is okay i mean miss sarah i think with a barricaded person or a non-hostage person they're still suffering so you have one person to relate to one person to connect with Mm -hmm. and it's an i would think it's a more narrow in terms of situation that you're trying to resolve Mm -hmm. where when you bring the second person in yes it could look like you just have you know the uh, the not the other person that you want to save you know and the person who wants to do whatever they want to do is going to do whatever it is but i think at the end of the day it's really that's the person who needs more attention mm-hmm. than when you, you want to comment a sensor okay so think of this um uh, when hostage became back in the 
medieval days, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's used for bargaining. Hostage is used for bargaining. Leverage. Leverage, mm-hmm. right? So if Bobby, poor Bobby, I use Bobby all the time. <laughs> you got Bobette and Bobby. Uh, hey. But let's say Bobby goes in and robs a bank and he comes out. Popo is there, right? Um, police officer, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh he comes running out, runs back in. What do you think his ambition is? What's his goal? Freedom. To get away, right? Any avenue he can to get to get away. right. Yeah. So therefore, he will use hostages as bargaining chips. If I give you water, you give me one person. Okay, right? I want a car. Get your car. Give me two people, right? So you're using them as bargaining chips. I mean, there's no other, you know, I'm trying to be nice, but you're... It's reality. It's reality. You're using people as bargaining chips, right? Uh, God forbid, I don't want that on anybody. So you're in that point, he needs you to some degree. For demands, you know, all this. He needs you to help him get away. Now what do you do when Bobby comes home and finds out that Bobette has been sleeping with his best friend? Domestic violence comes into play. And now all of a sudden, she's able to call 911. We show up. You know, if SWAT gets to play, we come out. What does Bob need from us? I'm not sure he even knows. He just wants to feel better, but he doesn't really. He doesn't need anything from us because the fuel is in the house. He has what he wants. She's there. So that is a victim. And we deal with that more than we do with the true hostage. Or the hostage that's being bargaining chips. Do you want water? I don't need water. Do you need anything from us? No, I got what I want. She's right here next to me. And that's the difference of when you're trying to talk to somebody. And most police departments deal with that way more than they do with the bank robber. And that's why your A-game that's where you get a lot of your your stuff is because we're dealing with those we're trying to realize that this guy's in crisis and we have to get him to think right we got to be able to build rapport with him we got to find out what caused it we got to figure out okay what's the main cause of this right we got to figure out uh resolutions then we have a plan of action plan of action just basically means bobby when you come out this is what we're going to do. This is what you, we'd like for you to do, this, right? And that all comes into play. And however the, uh, the SWAT guys or whoever is how they want them to come out and that, I don't care as long as he's committed to me that says, hey, he's coming out, they'll adapt to it. Whether front door, back door, window, I don't care. If he's coming out, we're in good shop. Wow. So, I want to get into your uh, the the help helpline. Mm-hmm. 
Can you talk about that at all? So we have to get some training done. So we will reach out to uh, entities. Uh, it could be anything from answering telephone lines or doing some type of training to assist in our active listening skills. So when you get proficient at it, you use active listening skills all the time. Like I use it all the time. Uh, I can use it on our traffic stop. I can use it, you know, whenever. Uh, but you practice it because you can lose it just like anything else. You have to keep practicing it. And with that, that's how we get training. You can call pure line, uh, pure line, P-E-R, mm-hmm. pure line, and we can help that by officers coming in. I mean, I'm very blessed that um, – Officers feel like they can approach me and talk about stuff, and I don't mind it. Uh, you know, there comes a point in time where, you know, that rapport. So when an officer comes to me and talks about stuff going on, I don't worry about it because they're just vent- they're getting rid of that that luggage, and if they won't get rid of it with me, that's fine. Uh, no one generally knows about it. I don't talk about it because that's part of the rapport, right? They got to feel comfortable to come on and talk to you and say, hey, I just want to vent. Have at it. Go for it. And then I just let them go for it. And that's to re- keep just refine your skills. That's no different. Like Danny going out to the range and practicing yeah. over and yeah. over. That, if somebody that wants to come yourself, to you, yeah. your mind sharp. Yeah. yeah, it keeps my mind sharp. And I'm not doing it for me. Yeah, yeah, but it helps me. Yes, it helps Because you. they're talking to me right. and they're getting information and things like that. Is there anything that you would want to see improved or changed within the way things are functioning now? In negotiations? Yeah. Um, Or within the training of negotiators? With the training of negotiators. I think we're doing a pretty good job. I really do. I think, you know, the the overall community of negotiators from all over the world, you know, they're constantly trained. They're trying to find the technology is something that's been around. Uh, so like myself, I've been around for a while. So the younger negotiators that we have, um, they already know this stuff, right? Uh, I don't even know how to type, hunt and peck, right? These kids now do it with their thumbs as fast as they can. And so that's something that I'd have to learn uh, to be better at. But even in technology, you know, if you're typing something, you're not getting an emotion. And so... I'd, I'd like, I think, the the younger negotiators to really dive into learning those emotions and how to deal with them. It's hard to do when you're doing it through texting, but that may be the only way you can talk to somebody is through texting. So just you can't ever get enough training. You just can't. I don't know if that really answered your question. I, I think we're in the right direction. Mm-hmm. How many negotiators are in the department? Because you said before about the two-man team. So I'm just curious, like when you mentioned earlier about when someone's turn is up. Right. So I'm just wondering how often or what the rotation would be like. Because we do it a little differently. We have four primary negotiators, and then we have four backup, secondary. So if I was to ask you, Danny, in the sniper world, who what would be your impression of who would who's the senior guy the shooter or the observer in the sniping team yeah 
It kind of depends on the operation, but uh, I mean, yeah, it depends on the operation. Okay, I'll give you yeah. that. Yeah, it depends on the, that and the weapon platform and kind of what we're dealing so with. So generally, as a, as a rule of thumb, your senior guy might be the more experienced guy, but based on his answer, he's correct in that too. Yeah, like uh, I say, as a senior guy, maybe we'd try and get the newer guy on the gun more, more experience, and we can sit back and assist. And the same thing goes with negotiation, right? Um, it has been very difficult for me to let the new guys in because it's not they're not doing good jobs it's just my mind is thinking very very i'm like three pages ahead of them uh and they're like on page one and i'm like you know so it's hard for me to let go but you know i'm getting to the part now where you know i'll be retiring um sometime (laughs) um to let that go and let those guys do it. They're very capable of doing it. We, we got a good good set of guys. I just wish uh, I could keep them more often because they get tagged with other jobs, and that's just like – which is a lot on their plate. Yeah, we're just low on manpower to where guys yeah. are taking so many hats on. Yeah. So. And, and if and if you are if you don't have as much time with them and training and experiences, that takes away from their skills and develop development of their skills, right? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, you've been on since 1985. Yes, sir. You've been in Dallas SWAT since 1993. Yes. What is next for you in your career with Dallas PD? What are some goals you have? So I had, I'm telling folks because people want to know when I'm leaving, mm-hmm. and I'm telling folks that there's two goals personally that I think would be pretty cool to meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it means nothing to no one else other than just myself is number one, I'd like to be in the top 10 of overall seniority of the department, not by rank, because mm-hmm. I'm low on the ground on rank, but I'd like to be within the top 10 over seniority. Um, I'm number 11. Okay. So that kind of scares me. What's your badge? 5282. 5282. Danny, 8834. Yeah. yeah. I'm 7482. 74, yeah. yeah. I wrote that one down a lot. Did you? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> So that would be my next gig. Uh, one of my classmates is number 10, and I'm trying to push her out. So I'm like, you need to leave. You need to leave. Um, and there's you're giving couple, your influence. I'm later. giving yeah. influence. Yeah. If, Subliminal if, messages. If, if she gets pushed out and you're number 10, will you leave then? Well, now What's that falls name? in the What's sec- her phone number? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, uh, um, hello, Sheila Green. <laughs> Shout out, Sheila. Shout out to Sheila, right? Sheila, leave yeah. so you can... Uh, the next one is to hit my 40 years, and I'm at 37. What? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You do the math. Yeah. He's figuring it out. Yeah, yeah. look at him smile. He's, yeah, no, he's, I just don't know how you're staying here that long. That's amazing. Yeah. So that will give me – well, you got to realize um, where I'm at now, you know, I'm not the guy that goes through the door anymore. Uh, I'm in a different job. But I'm still attached. Yeah, with just him. kind of briefly explain what that job is. So you're on, you're on Dallas SWAT. Yeah, yeah. But you are in. I'm a re, uh, what we call I'm a retired uh, entry guy. You're in Tess. I'm in Tess, and we are the old guys. So it used to be that you couldn't even get into our office unless you were 50. Uh, once you turn 50, then we might look at you. Um, but as a matter of fact, most of the guys down, with the exception of one, is. Uh, 
He's 48, I think. But we've all have time on the department. Um, our job is to assist uh, the uh, I keep calling them draggers. Sorry, uh, the entry guys to go in and do the you know beat down the door, hostage rescue, all that kind of stuff. So we drive the vehicles for them to get there, um, help them out any way. Uh, nowadays, you know, I don't necessarily need to. Back then, I would you know use a ram and slam it. Now we have a ram on the truck where I can drive the truck through the door, which is makes it a lot easier. Um, we try to keep up with all their administrative needs. So if Danny needs a certain type of equipment, he'll go to all the snipers, talk to them. They'll decide what they want to come up with. They'll uh, make sure they're all good with it and then give it to me. And then I'll either use the company they want to use for or I'll find something that will be comparable to them and then work it up the chain. So now I work behind a desk unless we call for an operation where – I'll either assist in negotiation, drive, or whatever they need for us to do. It's a, it's a good way for older guys to retire gracefully versus just, you know, you're here today, gone tomorrow. Yeah, which that that happens in this profession. Yeah. At, at any unit, right? Yeah. All right. I got one final question I want to ask you. Go for it. What is the feeling – of when you have spent hours talking to an individual and going through the entire roller coaster of potential suicide, I'm saving a life, I'm saving multiple lives, mm -hmm. back to suicide, to I have solved the situation and this person is remaining alive and they're walking out and you, how many times are you face to face with that person? after the incident is over and how does that feel so i learned a long time ago and that's a good question i learned a long time ago with the exception of one or two um i've made contact with the individual generally as a rule of thumb um i disconnect i've done my part they're going to get help and that chapter's closed because I don't want to get caught up into trying to go back and figure out all these stuff of all the issues because I'll be the type that will try and help them. And it's just it's better for me if I just cut it off. They're home. They're getting help. Uh, and leave it at that. Just kind of turn it off. Well, that's, that's your way of protecting yourself. Sure. Because eventually... You know, we get repeat offenders, meaning that you've had people that have attempted suicide more than once, and how you talk to them, you know, you you have to be mindful of that. And so with that, um, I'd rather start. I remember what worked. We'll try that. If it doesn't work, then i got to figure something out on the fly. Um, but, yeah, I kind of just turn it off. Okay. No, I, I see. I, I can see why you would do that. Yeah. No disrespect to them. You know. Right. I want everybody no, you, to go home. Right. Uh, you I have a job to do. Well. Your job is done. It's your task is complete, mm -hmm. and it's time to move on to potentially the next. Right. Yeah. Because there's always another. There's one. always another one yeah. waiting in line. Yeah. And you've given so much uh, knowledge to not only the SWAT unit and the history of the SWAT mm -hmm. unit, and when it comes, especially when it comes to negotiation, you have 
taught CRTs, you've taught patrol, you've taught, you've gone around the country and given this knowledge for the patrol, like patrol officers, what would be one of the biggest things you could tell them when they're first on the scene and how to deal with negotiations because they're the ones holding it down until y'all get there. What would you tell them? What would be something that, that you could, the listener, because we have a lot of young listeners mm-hmm. that are in patrol, what could you tell them that would help them if they arrive to the scene first when it comes to the negotiation to hold it down? Remain calm. Okay. <laughs> you know, just remain calm, listen to what they're telling you, and, you know, one of the first things about active listening is mirroring or re- uh, reflecting back, you know, what happened? Well, this happened and this happened. Okay, so what I hear you say is this happened, this happened, and this happened. So that that person, you're building that rapport so that they feel as though you're actually hearing, because it's about hearing what they're saying. Not judging them, not doing anything, not trying to fix it, not anything like that. They're being heard. They're just listening to what they have to say and just really. It's a conversation. J.D., thank you so much. Thank you for your service with the department in the thank city you. of Dallas. And thank you so much for all that you've done for the, the DPA, the ATO. And I'm glad you mentioned that before. You love giving back because you see a need for our officers and their need for confidential counseling and, and self-maintenance because you yourself, you practice that. You see a need for it. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely so much for your service thank you thanks for being here jd i appreciate it i appreciate it very much thank you hey brother hey sister i'll never give up on you hey mrs hey mister i'll see this all the way through sun and the moon I'll never give up on you Down when you're lonely I'll pull you up Life leaves you heavy when the going gets tough I'll be your shoulder Together we'll run up from the bottom Hey brother, hey sister, I'll never give up on you Hey missus, hey mister, I'll see this all the way
Hey, Mrs. Hey, Mister, I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far for the gold and the blue, I'll never give up on you.